Well, good morning once again, and welcome to worship. Amen? Amen. It is so good to be in the house of the Lord this morning, and I just want to extend an extra warm welcome to those that may be joining us for the first time, whether here in person or joining us online. And uh, we're just grateful you're with us this morning. Uh, a church where, as Kelly said, we are committed to sharing in hope, living with purpose for the sake of others. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, you notice, and you, you, we've already been alluded to, also that our campus is taking a bit of a transformation this morning, right? Our kids are in a, an extended VBS this morning. They started already. They're going to be going all the way through noon today, and then we're going to be invited to join with them in a picnic and water slides and a dunk booth uh, after worship, and I hope that y'all stay and, and be a part of that or come back at noon to be a part of the community uh, picnic that we're going to have. Uh, but before we go and dunk Pastor Ann and have a hot dog, is that right? Uh, I, I want to come back to one more time to the series that we've been in, this Back to the Basics, where we've been asking some really good questions, questions we either had or have had, or questions people have been asking us, right? Why do bad things happen? Is God really three in one, and how do we get our head around this idea of a triune God? What is the world's greatest hope? What is salvation? We, we've looked at and we've celebrated and witnessed the sacraments of our Methodist expression of the Christian faith through baptism and, and, and through the celebration of communion last week. So I want to come back to this idea of church. Church. And, and I want to ask you this morning, like, if, if you could recall your first inkling or first experience with church, what comes to mind? What comes to mind? Yeah, you know, I remember as a kid being taught this thing, and maybe y'all been taught it before, you know, here's the church. Come on, y'all, if y'all know it. Here's the steeple. Open it up and you see all the people, Right? And we are in a beautiful sanctuary. Can I get an amen this morning? I mean, if these walls could talk, and there are some families here that can trace their lineage all the way back to the founding family back in the 1800s. If these walls could talk, but the lives changed, but the baptisms celebrated here, but the marriages not only consecrated here, but maybe restored here about those that have been baptized into the faith, lives changed, people's lives being healed. Oh, could these walls testify to the move of God that's taken place on this campus over the decades and over the generations. Can I get amen? Amen. But if we're going to be real this morning, church is not about a building, is it? Church is about a people. And and so I want to come to this question, so what exactly is church? Church. And maybe the better question to ask, the question that I think a lot of people on the outside looking in in is, why church? Why church? Maybe even some of us are asking that question through experiences we've had with church. Why church? And so I want to invite you to join with me today as we meditate upon God's word. And, and, and my prayer is, is that, that we will come to a fuller understanding of just what is church. And that we'll have a deeper yearning to be a part of the church. His church. And to start, let's turn to where Jesus speaks to his church, found in the Gospel of Matthew. And then I want us to jump over to the letter that Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus and a word of encouragement he had there as well. But in Matthew's Gospel in chapter 16, we find Jesus speaking to his disciples. Beginning in verse 13, we hear these words. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. 
And Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. And then Paul to the church in Ephesus, in chapter 2, beginning in verse 19, we find these words. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people, and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me this morning? Almighty God, I thank you for the invitation you gave to each and every one of us to to wake up to a new day, a gift not deserved but given. And God, I thank you that you prompted us to seek you out this morning, whether we are questioning, doubting, praising, celebrating, lamenting, wherever it is in our hearts this morning. God, I pray that you would calm our minds and our hearts. God, that you would open us up to your word. Lord, that we would encounter the living word this morning. So that may the meditation of our minds and the words of my mouth be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and redeemer. And the church said, Amen. Amen. And on this rock, I will build my church. Jesus declared, as he was speaking to Peter, church, that word that Jesus speaks in the Greek, the Greek that he would have spoken then would have been ekklesia. Can y'all say that with me? Ekklesia was the word that we use to translate into the word church. And it's found some 114 times throughout the whole New Testament. But that ecclesia has a deeper, broader meaning than simply church. It's also meaning is an assembly, a gathering, or a community gathering. And the root word from which ecclesia is derived means this, to call, to summon, or to name. So in short, the church is a called community. It's why, as you heard this morning, the bells rung in our church tower here and, and bells across the world over the centuries have rung. Why? To gather the church, to call the people of the church to gather in worship in pursuit of God. There's whole denominations that have taken on this word ecclesia and the understanding of it in their name. You know, assemblies of God takes their name from this word ecclesia, the word we use today, church. But the beautiful thing is that ecclesia is not the only way in which we find the church described or used or spoken to in Scripture. In fact, what I love about the Old Testament or the New Testament is, is that it also gives us beautiful word pictures of what the church is. Let me give you just a few of them that we find in the New Testament. What we just read about in Ephesians, and it's also found in 1 Peter, is that there is a spiritual house. The ecclesia is a spiritual house, one in which Jesus is the cornerstone, and we are each building blocks. There's another word picture in Scripture, the household of God. Ephesians 2.19 speaks to this, and this is where the Spirit of God dwells within the household of God. 
There's another word picture that we find often in Scripture, and that is of a family. We find it in Galatians and in Hebrews and in Peter. And I don't know about y'all, but family can be messed up at times, right? Y'all look around and look at each other. What are you thinking this morning, if you're honest? We, we can be a funny folk, can't we? Family is funny. Funny is, family is messy. There's another word picture yet, and that is the flock of sheep. 1 Peter 5 speaks to being a flock of sheep. And if you recall, Jesus re- declared in John's gospel, I am the good shepherd. And not only did he declare, declare that he is a good shepherd, but he made it clear that he would leave all the rest in order to go after the lost and to bring them back into the fold as a good shepherd. What a great shepherd we have. And yet there's another image, the body of Christ. We find this in Paul's writing, both to Corinthian church and to the church in Ephesus. And he's making it clear that every part is of equal value and necessary to the whole of the body. And then perhaps the most beautiful, the most intimate, the most self-giving is that of the bride of Christ that we find in Ephesians 5. You know, what's clear in all of these images of the ecclesia is that it is utterly loved, valued, and prized by Jesus Christ. So much so that he would lay down his life for you see, no doubt the church is near and dear to the heart of Jesus. But you may be wondering why. why. Why does Jesus care so much about the church? Well, Jesus cares about the church because he cares deeply about you and he cares deeply about me. And now going back to that question I asked you earlier about what images have come to mind when you think about your earliest experiences with the church. Well, the, the truth is, is we've all had experiences with the church, whether you grew up in the church or not. And many of those experiences have been very positive, but admittedly, some of those have not been so good, right? And no doubt, many of those expressions and experiences of church that we have grown up inform the way that we see the church today. And our culture certainly paints the church in a certain way, doesn't it? Our culture is certainly more hostile than cordial toward church-going folks today. And the media Just like it does with everything else in society, it likes to shine a limelight on the dark spots rather than the bright spots in society and what's going on. And let's be honest, there has been abuse that's taken place within the context of church, and none of us are proud of that, right? And abuse should be dealt with, but it far pales in comparison to the brightness and the goodness of the church and the impact the church has had on society and the world. You know, our society has benefited in many ways from the fruit of the church, right? It's a church that gave us birth to modern education. Many of you are teachers. We prayed over our teachers and students as they prepare to go back. We did that last week. It's the church that gave us the birth to modern medicine and modern science. It's the church that gave birth to, to homeless shelters and to welfare support systems and inspired us to create systems to support the least and the lost coming right out of the birth of the church that we find in the book of Acts. But we find a culture that is too quickly wanting not only to abandon but perhaps tear down the church. And I don't know about y'all, but there used to be a phrase, I'm going to church. Any of y'all say, I went to church today? You know, we talk about going to church and and, and there's a cultural aspect to that. And, and the truth is, cultural Christianity, for all intents and purposes, is, is dead. It's not the end thing to do anymore. It's taboo, if you will, to say, I'm going to church. But praise be to God that cultural Christianity is gone because, you know, going to church is not what it's about. It's about being the church. Can I get an amen to that? 
We don't go to church. We are the church of Christ. But if we're honest with ourselves, even amongst those of us that call ourselves followers of Jesus, as Christians, gathering for worship has become an optional thing, especially in, in America and in the Western world, right? Even before COVID, they had to find that a regular church gatherer would show up once or twice a month. And, and, and dare I say, with modern technology, and praise be to God for that, because we have homebound joining us this morning. We have those that, because of illnesses, can't join us, and they're tuning in this morning. But I think all too often, we like that on-demand, and we can just click it, rather than join in the context of community when we could do so. We, we've made it something of an optional thing to join in person, to truly gather, to be the ecclesia, to be the body, to be the household, the church. Jesus calls us to be. Let, let's get real this morning. Some of us like the idea of following Jesus, but we don't like the church too much. Do y'all know people like that? <clears throat> people that like Jesus, but they don't like the church so much. You, you know, we love the head of the church, but we don't like the body so much. Why? Because the body's made of people. Flawed people. Broken people. Myself among them. And so sometimes we struggle with the idea of being a part of the body. We'd love to follow Jesus. We say we're a follower of Jesus, but we don't like the body too much. And perhaps some of that's coming out of some of the hurt that we've experienced in our life because of church, because of our experience in the context of community. But here's the thing. Heads aren't meant to be without bodies. And without you and without me, the body of Christ is incomplete. The body of Christ is incomplete. Now, for some of us, it's just the opposite, though. For some of us, we love being a part of the body, but we don't like obeying the head too much. We like the fellowship, but we don't like the lordship of Jesus Christ. You know, John Wesley, the the founder of the Methodist revival in the Anglican Church, and, and the many expressions of Methodism that we have even here in the United States today, he feared not that Methodism would cease as an expression of Christian faith, but that it would cease to exist and that it would exist only as a dead sect with a form of religion but without power. That's what happens when we don't make Jesus Lord of our church and Lord of our lives. And we don't seek after the spirit of truth to guide us in our daily life. William Willimon, some of y'all maybe have read some of his things. He's a, a former pastor and bishop in the United Methodist tradition of the Methodist expression of faith. And He had this to write not too long ago. He says, The church consists of those who are called out of the world in order to serve the world in the name of Christ. The church is God's answer to what's wrong in the world. But in order to serve the world, the church must be distinctive, different from the world. Jesus might sum it up this way, those that love fellowship without the lordship this way, as being simply lukewarm. He wrote about that in Revelation. Called out a church a laudation that was neither hot nor cold. He called them lukewarm. And, you know, the ripple effect of that mindset is that those sitting on the outside look on the inside and say, well, you're no different than those that are living in other ways. They call us out for our hypocrisy at times, don't they? You know, for these and perhaps other reasons, many outside the faith are asking, why even bother with church? Why even bother with church? 
And I think the answer, though, to that resides in the fact that the church has been and will be the answer to the world's problems. The church is Christ's gift to the world, to you and to me. It's a place where we can find belonging. It's a place where we can find redemption. It's a place where we can find forgiveness. It's a place where we can find our lives rebuilt on the foundation found in Jesus Christ when we begin to give up going it our way and living his way and be experiencing community the way he intended, he designed He desires us to experience. It's something you can't find anywhere else amongst any other collective body of people. That's why I think we all gathered here in this space this morning. And not for what this space can offer, but what one another can offer and what the presence and the Spirit of God amongst us and around us can offer us. You see, the church is not a place to go to. But it's a people to belong to. Let me say that again. The church is not a place to go to. The church is a people to belong to. Amen to that. You see, before anything existed, before anything existed, a family existed. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Our first question in this series is this understanding of the relational Godhead. And the expression of God and the interconnected to himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And if you remember in creation, God spoke life into existence. And when he spoke humanity in existence, he said, let us make humankind in our image. In other words, he imparted into us this deep sense and desire to belong, to relate, and to connect, to be a part of one another, and to be in community with one another. And the truth of the matter is, is, as I've acknowledged earlier, community can be messy. A lot of times we just want to run the other way. Can I get an amen? We live in a society of polarization, right? We want to run the other way in every direction, no matter what it is. But it's through the church that we find that Jesus meets us in the mess. And he begins to restore the mess and restore our lives and restore our sense of understanding and community. You see, what Jesus did on the cross, his laying down his life for the bride, his church, God's people, you and I, the family of God. What he did through the cross and through defeating death was in order to restore us back to life in the garden when life was good. When God walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the night. That's what Jesus came to do. And that's what the church offers us to come and discover Again, Jesus reminds us that where two or more are gathered, there he is too. So in the name of Jesus Christ, may you know that he is present here. Can I get an amen? Amen. Jesus is with us. And not just in this gathering of the ecclesia, but in sojourn across the street, Woodstock City up the street, Woodstock Baptist down the street, and all the other churches that dot this city, Woodstock, where some 62% of those in this community don't even know Jesus. Let's see it. Jesus is present. And not just in the city, but in this country and across the world today. Wherever the ecclesia is gathering, Jesus there in the midst. And this goes all the way back to the birth of the church. What we find in Acts, where Jesus promised that he wouldn't leave us behind, but he would send us the advocate, the Holy Spirit. And man, if you look at Acts 2, you, in Acts 1, you begin to see God at work in a mighty and powerful way. And what unfolds in the book of Acts and the birth of the church is continuing to unfold today. 
We see that through the power and presence of the Holy Spirit, when we allow ourselves to be open to the move of the Spirit, we move from being frozen in fear to fearless in faith. And in doing so, the world takes notice. That's what we see in the book of Acts, isn't it? The world took notice of those early followers of Jesus as they gathered, as they prayed, as they, as they built one another up, as they unpacked the scriptures, as they had them in that day from the, the apostles' teachings, as, as they broke bread together and, and reminded themselves of communion and, and the call that Jesus makes for all of us to celebrate at the table his forgiveness for us and his redemption. What did people do? They took notice. And they were drawn to Jesus through that early movement of the ecclesia. They were added, we find that they were added, people were added to their number daily who were being saved. You see, in the book of Acts, what we see is, is that it wasn't in the absence of community that people were being drawn to Jesus, but it was through that community of believers that were, and what they were doing that drew others to Jesus. You see, we are the hands and feet. We are the embodiment of Christ in the world today. We are his church in the world today. And what we do and what we say and how we live and how we love and how we forgive draws others unto what we have, saying, I want what you have. And we say, we have Jesus. And we're part of the family, and you can too. You know, when Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus, he was writing to a group of believers that found themselves in a hostile culture, not a whole lot different than where we find ourselves today. But despite that hostility and the persecution, they grew. In fact, one of the most ardent persecutors, Saul, y'all, Saul, who, who approved the stoning of early followers of Jesus Christ, would encounter Jesus Christ and forever be transformed. His name would become Paul, and he would become the, the most prolific church planner perhaps of the early century and and profound impact on the church today through his letters that we continue to read and draw from today but jesus put a specific mission on his heart do you know what it was to go reach the outsiders what is it we say sharing in hope living with purpose for the sake of others for the sake of others that's what paul was sent to do is to go share the gospel and to bring others into the family of God, into the household of God by sharing his faith and raising them up in the faith. You see, what we find here is that Paul reminds outsiders of his day. If you look at this, he says, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. Also members of his household. What we find is Paul reminding the outsiders of his day, much like we're called to remind outsiders of this day, that there's also a space for them in the body of Christ, at the table, in the household of God. A place where you can find belonging, where you can be forgiven, and ultimately, and what Jesus desires, is to find your life transformed. Find your life renewed as you walk in and enter and become and live under the house of God. And live in the ways of God. The way that God designed, God desired, God created us to live. A way in which we could thrive. You know, the other thing that we find in, in Paul's writing is that we stand as a church community today built upon the transformed lives that have gone before us. And like I said, this campus, with Wichstock Methodist Church having its roots here, a hundred and... 
I don't know how many years, nearly 200 years of ministry taking place here, of lives transformed. We stand on their shoulders. We stand on the shoulders of the apostles. We stand on the shoulders of the prophets, as, he alludes, as Paul speaks to here. We stand on the shoulders of the saints here and those that helped found City on a Hill and that those that saw the wisdom of bringing us together to become the way. We stand on their shoulders. We stand on their shoulders to be who we are called to be today. And at the foundation of our faith is Jesus, the cornerstone upon which he has built his church, not our church. His church. Y'all hear me, right? It's not Andy's church. It's not Ann's church. It's his church. This is Jesus Christ's church. But his laying down his life and laying that down so that it might be a foundation from which we can build our lives upon, we need to know this. That it wasn't for us to be in isolation from one another, but to be interconnected to one another. You see, in Jesus we find that our purpose and our solid footing for this life listen again to what paul wrote he says in him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the lord and in him you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which god lives by his spirit you see it's in the context of church that we are not only built up but built together and when this takes place the church becomes the church. So why church? Well, let me get personal with you. Why church for me? <laughs> you know, I used to, I joke, I, I had a drug problem as a kid. I got drugged to church. Any of y'all get drugged to church? But I got, I got a testimony to share with you today is that I, I'm not drugged to church. I realized that I was drawn to church. Drawn to what Jesus Christ can do in and through a flawed people. We're not just a called community, we're a flawed community. Amen? Amen. But we're also a forgiven community. And we're called to be a committed community. I can remember as a as a young boy losing my grandmother to death of cancer. She's fifty nine years old. There's a lot of other things, broken glass in my extended family taking place in that time too. I won't share that here. But needless to say, there was a lot going on. But the way that the church, the ecclesia surrounded my grandfather and loved him and nurtured him and supported him and carried him through the death of his wife led my parents who were worshiping in two different faith communities to say, we don't have what he has and we want it. It led them to a little yellow church down the road called Mount Bethel. And some of y'all know it, some of y'all love it, some of y'all may not like it so much. But that very first Sunday is the Sunday in which communion was offered. And for the very first time in my parents' married life, they experienced communion. They experienced the grace of God offered at communion. And it forever changed their marriage. And it forever changed their faith. And I began to see something take place in them, and I wanted what they had. You see, it's in the context of ecclesia in a youth group. Hearing those kids laugh out there just a moment ago warms my heart because it was in the context of the church and a youth group that I went to thinking and fearing God as all out there, almighty, all-knowing, all-powerful, and God is all of that. But knowing that God is also present beside me through Christ Jesus, and I wanted Jesus in my life, and I accepted him in, and he began to 
bestow on my, press upon my heart that I was called to serve the church in the capacity that I'm trying to grow into today. I'm still a pastor with training wheels. Can I get an amen to that? I mean, I've been fully ordained and everything, but y'all would agree I'm still in training. Y'all training me well. It's in the context of the church that introduced me to my wife, the love of my life. A devout Christian woman brought us into the covenant of marriage together through the church. We're going to be celebrating 22 years of marriage next month. Praise be to God. And I am super excited about it. But like any marriage, there are great times and there's not so great times. There are times when you feel like things are solid and there are times when you feel like it's falling all apart. And it's the church, Sunday school members, other couples that came alongside and shouldered us in those hard seasons in our own marriage and kept pointing us back to Christ Jesus and the faith that we share in the covenant that God's made with us. Thanks be to God for the church in my life. It's through the church that I've seen others' lives changed. I've seen people discover their purpose in life. I've witnessed people desire to be baptized into the body of faith. I've even witnessed my own two daughters say yes to Jesus. And I've seen the church come alongside them and awaken them to the gifts that God's already blessed them with, even as teenagers, that they have to offer to this world. And I am humbled and excited to see the impact they're going to have in this world because of the church, the body of Christ being the hands and feet of Christ pouring into their lives. So why church? Church matters because people matter. Amen? When you look at this Lord's table up here, you may be wondering why is there socks and underwear and deodorant and soap? You know, some of y'all might need the deodorant. If you need it, I can pass it around. But it's a reminder of how this ecclesia, this gathering, is committed to supporting the most undeserved, underserved, that is, in our community, our children. You know, there's over 100 food pantries within 10 miles of here. But there are children that will go to school next week that don't have enough hygiene kits and supplies. And thanks be to God because of y'all, there's a ton of stuff sitting back there and stored in other places. This is just a representation of how the way Woodstock is being the church. Praise be to God how this community has, has died to self in coming together to become one church over the last three years. Enduring COVID, enduring great challenges in terms of our identity and who we are and who we're becoming, I am amazed at how Christ has spoken through this body of faith called the Ecclesia, the way Woodstock. Amazed at the servants. There are countless servants out there pouring into our kids right now as we worship today. Praise be to God. And y'all going to get to dunk me a little later today if you want. Come on, bring it. I say bring it. I, I, I am amazed at how this ecclesia, this gathering of the church, won't say no and won't say we can't. Because we're out of room. We're out of room on this campus as it currently stands. And your trustees and several servants have gotten creative, and we've revamped Georgia Dawson. Ann and I have given up our office. We've created another small group gathering in that space down below us here. We've taken on a closet over here. If you want to meet with us, we're over here now, not down there. And yet, at the same time, you have steadfastly and sacrificially given so that we might open 
Latimer Hall next door to expand our reach to touch the lives of others. Thanks be to God for the way this church is being the church, a called community, a flawed community, yes, but also a forgiven community. And so I'll leave you with this. There's one other aspect of church, and that's a committed community. I've seen us do that. But my challenge to you is, will we remain and will we step further into being a committed community in this new season of life that we find ourselves stepping into? Will we step forward faithfully to be the called church that Jesus Christ calls us to be? I pray that we will. And with God's help, we will. And even the gates of Hades will not stand against it. Upon this rock, Jesus says, I will build my church. He was talking to Peter. Peter's indicative of you and me. Flawed, forgiven, but also faithful. May we be also. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Almighty God, I thank you for this day, and I thank you for the church, for all the many ways that despite our idiosyncrasies, despite our flaws, we are your answer to the world. We are your hands and feet to the world. God, we confess to you the ways in which we have failed to be your church, to fail to be an obedient church as we often recite and pray and proclaim when we come to the table. God, we are reminded every day of your grace is greater than the sin within us. So God, I pray that you would embolden us as a community of faith, as part of the larger ecclesia that is across the world, across the ages, where all nationalities and voices are at the table. God, I pray that we would be faithful, that we would be a called and committed community. Lord, that we would step forward in this newfound season that we find ourselves in and embrace the call that you've placed upon our hearts to truly share in hope, the hope that's found in you alone, to help people discover their purpose, their gifts, their talents, and all for the sake of others, just like Paul was sent to reach those on the outside. God, may we be a place for those on the outside too. I ask this in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And the church said, Amen. Amen.